Welcome to the C3 Eastern Suburbs podcast. We're glad to have you tune in today and hope this message blesses you. If you'd like to visit, we meet in Glen Innes, Auckland on Sundays at 10am. You can also find us on www.c3easternsuburbs.org.nz. Enjoy the message. This week um, I was talking to somebody and they were telling me uh, actually, the, the, the worry that they had for the state of their faith. And they were in a place where they have been, you know, a Christian for a good majority of their life, and that they've done amazing stuff, and I've always seen them as a very faith-filled person. But I was shocked for them to have, for them to share with me that actually, in fact, they were quite concerned about the state of their faith. And what had happened for them is that they had lost somebody they loved close to them, and then something else had happened where a dream that they believed God had been a part of had fallen down. And so they were left in the state of, what does that leave me? Where is God for me? And I personally could feel myself relate to so much of that story, so much of that, that, um, you know, that anger at God. Why me? I've done this. I've been doing this for you. Why would this happen? I could get it and I could relate to it. And humanity, our humanity makes us messy, right? We are very complex creatures. But we also can be particularly messy. And at times it makes our faith seem a little senseless in in view of our messiness. And the person went on to share with me that they... Their own family they felt really uh, challenged by because their family were very faith-filled and and when this person was in the throes of um, dying, that they just kept speaking out faith and every time this person tried to have a conversation about um, how much they were hurting watching this person dying, um, they were kind of almost shut down and not allowed to express that emotion of fear and worry and concern for that person. And they found that really hard. They're like, why, does, why do they not actually want to talk about it? And it actually left them to a point where they really wonder about their faith. So this morning I want to talk about finding hope despite the situation. And I'm going to, God willing that this video goes, I want you to watch this video. Um, what's that? Uh, watch this video. <laughs> Jesus, you'll make this work because it's you know the crux of the whole sermon. Uh, is uh, Sir Walter Riley coming to see Queen Elizabeth to tell her about the new world? Can you imagine what it is to cross an ocean? For weeks, you see nothing but the horizon, perfect and empty. You live in the grip of fear. Fear of storms. Fear of sickness on board. Fear of the immensity. So you must drive that fear down deep into your belly. Study your charts. Watch your compass. Pray for a fair wind. Let them wait. 
Go on, Mr. Riley. You were hoping... At first, it's no more than a haze on the horizon. So you watch. Awesome, you can stop it now. I thought, what a beautiful, powerful way to describe hope. The vast sea and looking for the smudge. Um, so this morning I want to talk about finding hope in that difficult situation. And sometimes when we're in these difficult situations, that's when our hope becomes so power-filled and so much power in it. Um, and he describes the new world to Queen Elizabeth as a smudge, and then as he continues to watch and wait for the land to come, it starts to grow into that landmass. Hope inspires passion. Passion for our cause, passion for our beliefs. And uh, sometimes we need to begin to looking for the land after we've been lost at sea, the vast sea, for a long time. And it seems as though the sea can be sometimes never-ending. And what better person to look at today in the Bible is someone called King David. Now, let's say he had a fair few shockers. He had more shockers than I actually realised when I started actually studying him. He had a fair few shockers. Uh, and somehow David finds hope in this messy situations that he comes into. So we're going to look at two points from David's experience. Only two today because we're still in January. <laughs> so we're going to keep it to two. I'm not going to make it seven. I'm just going to keep it to two. Uh, and so we're going to look at two points from David's experiences. The first one is that the messy feelings are actually okay. So for the person that I was talking to who felt that her feelings were shut down, that her questions and her queries about uh, why this and etc., we want to say that church should be allowed to have some of the messy feelings, that we're not here to gloss over it and to make it look pitch perfect and sanitise it for you. Because we are messy, therefore we come often with messy feelings. So messy feelings are okay, and I'm inspired that that is okay because David was very messy, and he didn't shy away from writing down the messy feelings that he felt. The Bible, in fact, is full of incredible messy stories. 
In fact, some of the stories are so messy that I actually struggle to read some of them. Some of those stories that really make me think, what? How could they have done that? I struggle to read that, but that's actually in the Bible. It's not sanitised. It's not a clean version for us. It's actually there in the midst of it all. King David, as I said, he did not shy away from his feelings of overwhelmment, of hopelessness. He didn't seem to cover them up to make others around him feel okay. And as a church, I want to encourage us that we allow people to talk through the messy feelings and experiences and be okay with it. We don't have to solve it for them, but actually we can just listen. Empathy is way more helpful than sympathy. Empathy helps us to connect with that other person and support them. Sympathy is just basically looking on and poking out and pointing out the issues. And as somebody, as this person was sharing their experience with me, I immediately was taken back to my own experiences of disappointment in God, my own experiences of what the heck, how could that happen? It allowed me to connect with her as she was talking. Therefore, I was able to be empathetic with her instead of being sympathetic. But the thing about empathy is that you have to be able to want to connect with your own story to share with some, to be able to connect with another. And sometimes that can be really, really difficult. But it's important that we don't feel afraid of that because actually there's the power in empathy and the connection. Um, some people are better at it than others. We just need to have grace for some people. Some people find it difficult to do that. But um, David had his own valley experiences uh, and, um, and each of them will probably be different than your own. Like I, I haven't... Um, I haven't sent my son away from me for many, many years. So, you know, his experiences may not relate to me, but I think we can see that he had a lot of messed up stuff going on, but so do we all, but we just have it just comes across differently. So it is common to us all for, in some way. And by David sharing his mess, it gives permission for each of us to say, actually, it's okay. If it's in the Bible and he's sharing it, then it must be okay for us. And what better place to start to look at some of these messy stories but the book of Psalms. Psalms is reflective of life. It has valleys and then it has wonderful um, peaks and mountainside experience, mountain high experiences punctuated in there. Psalms holds multiple valley expressions, a place where often the writer appears to have hit rock bottom. But what I love about Psalms is that despite the outlook, despite the desolate landscape that the writer portrays for us in Psalms, they will eventually come round to hope. Hope in their God that is bigger than them. And that's what I love about the Psalms. Psalms is where humanity and its creator meet face to face. To me, I was thinking it's the imagery we, when we went to Israel and we went to the Wailing Wall. It's that imagery of people putting in their prayers into the wall and wailing and seeking God, finding solace in that. It's a beautiful picture of our human heart meeting our Father's heart. And so I'm going to read Psalm 119. Fear not, not the whole lot, because we all know that's the longest one. <laughs> we don't have time for that. No, I'm just going to just read a couple of verses from there, from uh, Psalm 119, verse 81. I am worn out, waiting for your rescue. But I have put my hope in your word. My eyes are straining to see your promises come true. 
When will you comfort me? I am shriveled like the wineskin in the smoke, but I have not forgotten to obey your decrees. Oh, this image of hopelessness that is portrayed. Nothing like the writer to be able to really paint that picture of their feeling of hopelessness. And as I said, the Bible is not the clean version. It hasn't been sanitised for us. It hasn't been scripted to be easy on our ears. As I said, there's a lot in there that I find and struggle to read. But it is certainly thought-provoking and it is challenging. And the beauty of it not being reflective is that it, uh, sorry, the beauty of it not being a clean version is that it is reflective of us as humans. That we are in reality, like I said, quite messy and complex. And that makes our need for God so much more obvious. Here the writer, which most of us assume, lots of us assume is David, um, uses the imagery of bottle and smoke. And I thought, what on earth is that? I don't really know what that kind of means, so I obviously looked it up, to paint the picture of where their headspace is at. So I am shriveled like wineskin in the smoke. So the leather of wineskins needs to be quite supple and pliable to be able to accommodate that fermation, the expansion of the fermation, uh, for fermentation, I should have learned that word before I came up, fermentation, okay, so for it to be able to expand and to be able to accommodate that expansion. But if it's hung empty in the tents and it doesn't have the wine in there for the purpose that it is intended to, then the writer, in fact, is saying that they fear their life is becoming shriveled up and useless and the trial is beginning to wear them down. So the imagery is quite powerful. But who of of us here have at some point felt a little shriveled up? Yes, yes, I have. Shriveled up, a little bit useless, a little bit unable to do much, unable to support other people, let alone support myself. I think most of us, and if you've got through life so far, wow, <laughs> you must be living in a bubble. But, um, but most of us, I expect, would have some degree of feeling that intensity. Uh, King David, as I said, had seemed to have a few of them. We're just going to look at a couple of them. And some of these moments include where he lets his eyes wander and entertain thoughts of Bathsheba, uh, another woman. And things from there go from bad to worse. If you think that's bad, it gets worse. And he goes on to arrange Bathsheba's husband's eventual death after his own plans to try and cover up the affair fail. And um, in 2 Samuel 12, 13 to 18, it says, King David realised he'd sinned against the Lord And he asks for forgiveness. And Nathan the prophet comes along and says that the Lord has forgiven you, but the son that you conceive with Bathsheba will die. And of course, David pleads, as you would expect any father to do, he pleads for the life of the child, but the child does die. And as a mother, that part of the story, obviously, you can't help but feel the pain that they must feel at the loss of their child. But imagine... Knowing that pain, knowing that you played a part in it, that you were part of the reason, that must have been devastating. And later on, David's son, Absalom, rebels against him. So he'd been sent off. Again, another messy family situation occurred and he got sent away and then he got brought back. And I guess his son had harboured resentment to his father for doing that. And... uh, 
Samuel 15, 13 says, David, King David's son Absalom conspires against him by stirring up, rebe- stirring up rebellion in all the tribes of Israel. The rebellion gained momentum to the point that King David and his entire household had to flee from Jerusalem into the wildness. Only King David's concubines stayed to look after the palace, which was nice of them. Um, <laughs> say anything about that. Um, so... David takes off with his household. In fact, he's basically run out of town because his own son is pulling, getting everyone all upset and grumpy about um, to King David. But then not only does he do that, Absalom does the biggest thing that is the most um, disrespectful um, insult to his father. And he takes his father's concubines and he sleeps with them all in public. And that you would think is the most unfathomable. How could you come back from that one? And people think that the Bible is boring. <laughs> Seriously, there is so much crazy stuff going on in this Bible of humanity, so messed up families. And you think, you know, when you think you look at some families and you think, oh, that's that's messed up. But actually, there's a lot of really messed up stuff in the Bible. Um, so it kind of gives the rest of us hope <laughs> when you read that stuff, huh? <laughs> me feel better about my children. It's a representation basically on how we can make our lives so complex and so challenging because of our own actions and our reactions to others. And so in the view of the spectator, King David's um, uh, whole entire story appears to be ruined by the act of what's happened. His reputation, his legacy seems to be so downtrodden, you can't even imagine how could you come back from that situation. But see, God is never a spectator. He is the author of our story and he's also a participator. He's never a spectator. A spectator would look at that and see it as a ruined story and unable to come back or have any return. But because God is our author and our participator, He always brings the story round. And Jesus will eventually come from King David's line, which is incredible when you think about it. That sordid relationship that we first read about, he brings Jesus into that line. I think, heck, that is grace abound. The grace of God. When humans stuff up, the grace of God can come along and bring restoration and bring glory. Um, so amongst the sin and punishment, hope and blessing comes. And of course, my intention is not for David's sins to be highlighted. At least anyone did that to me at a pulpit. <laughs> Thankfully, it's in the Bible, so it's obviously open fodder. <laughs> we get to have a good read of it. Um, but my intention is not just to highlight that, but my intention is to show that even in the worst situations, God's grace and his hope can bring about any situation. David's response is my last point, number two, point number two. Because this is actually the kicker. Because sometimes stuff happens to us that is not because we intentionally went out to do wrong or we did something that we shouldn't have done, but actually stuff just happens to us because we live in this world. And so when I read through the text of Psalm 119, I read David's anguish, but I also read the response that he has also post that. So David comes to the heart of God. He comes to his creator and the lover of his soul. And he says in verse 89, Your eternal word, O Lord, stands firm in heaven. 
Your faithfulness extends to every generation, as enduring as the earth you created. Your regulations remain true to this day. If your instructions hadn't sustained me with joy, I would have died in my misery. I will never forget your commandments, for by them you give life. And that is where hope is found. Hope is found in remembering the truths that you know. So that's not saying David was eased from his anguish and his pain, but he went back to what he did know. He knew that he would have died had it not been for God sustaining him with joy. Hope is found in acknowledging your past experiences of hope. Hope is found in the seeking out of the land while you're still at sea, looking for it, intentionally standing at the boat and looking for the land, knowing that God will come through. After reading everything that happens to King David, it's hard to believe that he could ever recover. But despite all of that, God brings goodness and hope from the ashes. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that God causes everything, not just the good stuff, but causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called um, according to his purposes for them. So God chose to bless David again. And you read on in 2 Samuel 19 that Jesus, uh, sorry, David returns to Jerusalem and his kingdom is restored. And on top of that, shortly after the death of David and Bathsheba's first son, they conceive another son who is Solomon, King Solomon, who takes over the kingship after David's death. He builds a temple and he creates a strong army. A legacy continues on. That to me is amazing. And it's even interesting that even though David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, God still blessed that union and out came Solomon from that. God is a God of grace. And how about that, eh? I think that is awesome. And this just proves that God will not abandon us even when we do the worst thing ever. There is always hope with our God. He is our source of hope. So what happens when the sea is vast and we cannot see the land ahead? What if the circumstances are not of our own accord, not our own choices that have caused it, but just the fact we live in life. In my own vast sea and no land in sight experience, I chose, like David, to go back to what I do know. When both my brothers died a few years um, after each other, and when we, lost multiple, we had multiple miscarriages, I lost my footing. I struggled to look for the land. I struggled to even get up onto the deck of the boat to even look for the land. I lost my footing. But I found my footing again slowly, not quickly, but slowly by looking and remembering the God who has sustained me in the past. I uh, recovered my hope in God because he continued to love me in spite of the mess. I had people around me that continued to stand with me even though I was unable to stand. And this morning as we sit here in this space, some of you might be still in the mess, and whether it's from your own choices or whether it's just life, and maybe you are struggling to see the land from the sea. Can I encourage you to start to think about the times when God was there for you? Think about how that was for you, having that strength and that, um, that incredible presence of God in your life. What was that like? 
remembering the times that you did experience God. Imagine the feeling of Mr. Riley speaking to Queen Elizabeth of finally seeing that land after being at sea for so long. The feelings of developing hope and joy as the land started out as a smudge on the horizon and as he waited those three days, the land became a mass. Imagine that feeling of desperation and then suddenly seeing that horizon. The bravery of the mission, the determination of not giving up, of feeling the fear and still doing it anyway, but pressing forward into the hope that can be found only in our God. So we want to be a church that talk honestly about some of the messy things. And sometimes that's uncomfortable. I'll agree, sometimes it's uncomfortable. But we want to stand and support you as you struggle to find the landmass in your big, vast sea. And I believe that the hope is our saving grace. I believe God can bring hope to even the most messy situations. And in fact, by bringing hope to the messiest situation, it goes from being a story just about you to be a story about Him. About Him and His goodness, His grace and His hope. And that's what I pray. So I would like us to stand and I want to open up, up here, because we want to not just say, oh yeah, we'll stand with you, but we do want to actually literally stand with you. So if you would like to come up and have us pray with you, then I want you to come up. But I'd also just like to pray and acknowledge God's incredible hope. The hope that can be found in Him, even in the most messy of situations. Father God, I just thank you that even when we are bouncing around in that vast ocean, that if we continue to look, we will start to see the smudge on the horizon of hope. God, I thank you for everyone here, Lord. I thank you for their braveness to be vulnerable, for the courage that that takes. And Lord, I pray that we are never afraid to be real with how we're feeling because I know, God, that you will always come through.